Thank you all for filling out your story there. I want to welcome you to the vineyard. Uh, little Dom here couldn't, can't quite write his story out, so he came up and he told me, do you know that I have a skateboard? And, but his grandma wouldn't let him bring it into the church. I said, yeah, that's more of an outside toy. And I asked him if he's always careful on it, and, that's, and he said yes, so that's good. So um, you, you, you keep being careful, okay? And thank you for sharing that. Yeah, our, our, it, it's, it's good to share our stories, right? <laughs> well, we're in part two of our series uh, where we're putting a twist on the familiar phrase, what would Jesus do? And we're asking, what would Jesus undo? There are so many things in this world that Jesus would undo, so many things that, he would, that, that, that break his heart. You know, he created us to, to, to love us, and his heart breaks over, the, uh, uh, over the, the pain in our lives. And there's so many things in our lives that he wants to undo. Many of them are beyond our control, but some of them are within our control. So we've had to kind of narrow this focus down, and we've narrowed down the focus to things that Jesus would undo in the church. Yes? You have a guitar, but it's broken? Oh, do you know how to play guitar? You're going to ask Santa Claus if you can have one? Oh, when it's Christmas? Okay, that's good. I like guitars. Nobody won't, will give me one because I don't know how to play it, and it sounds terrible. Will you teach me how to play it when you learn? Will you teach me how to play it? You get one? Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> I love it. I can just, you know, it just reminds me of Jesus, you know, the time when the kids were, you know, people were bringing the kids to Jesus and, and, the, and the, the, the disciples were saying, oh, you know, pushing them away. And, and Jesus said, no, you're totally missing it, guys. Let the little children come to me. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these, he said. So I, I love it. Um, and I love the red faces that parents or grandparents might get you. <laughs> I know that because I've been there. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> you know, we've narrowed down the focus of, uh, and by the way, this is not something he would undo. But, but, but we, we, we would, you know, narrow down the focus of things that, that um, uh, uh, the Jesus would undo uh, to looking at things in the church and things about which we have control, we, have, we can do something. And, you know, we started last week by talking about spiritual indifference. And we said that not only does spiritual indifference break his heart, but when we're spiritually indifferent, you know, the, the biblical term in Revelation is lukewarm. It really tur it turns his stomach. And the thing is, every one of us is susceptible to that at times. Every one of us goes through times in our lives where our fire just kind of dies down and we're lukewarm. We're just indifferent about things. And so we have to guard ourselves from it, you know, and, and by taking steps to ensure that it doesn't somehow subtly creep into our lives. Because it's not something that, that you know, all of a sudden we wake up one day, we flip a switch and say, I'm going to be indifferent today, you know. And, uh, and, and it's, it's not like that. It just like creeps in a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. So, 
you know, one way to guard against that is to uh, do something every day, make it a point and be intentional about doing something every day that requires faith. Every day, step out in faith in some area. That will keep your, your, your faith, it will keep your walk with Jesus, you know, active and fresh and alive. So every day. Now, today, we're going to talk about something that else that breaks Jesus' heart when he sees it. Hollow worship. Hollow worship. Empty worship. Worship that, you know, maybe has all the motions but doesn't have our heart in it. And when I draw your attention to Matthew's gospel, the 15th chapter, Matthew tells us, says, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Now, I want to give you a little setup here so you know what it is they're talking about. (laughs) Here's what we need to understand about what's going on. For a devout Jew... Uh, everything fell into one of two categories, either, something, either it was clean or unclean. And we're not talking about, you know, food that, you know, hasn't been washed first or something like that, or we're not talking about, you know, personal hygiene, taking a shower or anything like that. Clean and unclean had to do with certain ceremonial regulations uh, that had to be followed so that something was either ceremonially clean or ceremonially unclean. That's what the concern was here. The disciples didn't follow the proper tradition or procedure for washing their hands. It, 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 it wasn't just, you know, going to the sink and washing hands. It had to be done a certain way. There was a minimum amount of water that had to be used. It was called a log, a log of water. Now, what's a log of water? A log of water is enough to fill one and a half eggshells, all right? So you had to have that minimum amount of water. You had to pour the hands. The water had to be poured over your hands with your fingers, uh, 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 fingers pointing upward and the water running you know, off your wrists. And then you would rub your fists like that. It had to be done that way. And that process was to be repeated, not just before each meal, but before each course. And the Pharisees were indignant because the disciples didn't follow this procedure, didn't follow their tradition. Imagine that. They were so upset, but they were missing the whole point. See, cleanliness doesn't start on the outside and work its way in. It starts on the inside and works itself outward. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the heart, Jesus said. A few, ver- a few verses later, Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah in Matthew 15, 7, says, you hypocrites. He's talking to the religious leaders, and he says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about, uh, prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Then he says their worship is a farce, for they they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. He says their worship is a farce. In other words, their mouths were moving. They were doing the right things, quote-unquote, but their hearts weren't in it. Their hearts were far from it. 
They were just going through the motions. Their hearts were far from God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been there before where I've been going through the motions. You know, maybe times when I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm worshiping God and I'm doing all the right, you know, things as I'm singing and all that, but I'm thinking about, wonder what I want for lunch after church. What am I going to eat? What are my plans? You ever done that? None of you have, I'm sure. I see one person that was quick enough to, odd, to nod their head before, before I... Uh, Gave them an out and said, I'm sure none of you, honest chi. That's what we're going to call you, honest chi, yes. All right, but no, we, we've done that. You know, or maybe we're, you know, maybe, maybe we're, you know, we're, we're, we're worshiping and trying to, to not think about the fight that we had with our kids in the car on the way to church or spouse. Or thinking about the song that we wish we were singing instead of worshiping the one that we, with the one that we were singing to and you know, maybe we're critical of this or of that. And instead of pouring on our hearts like we should be to our creator, our redeemer, our, you know, the all-powerful, ever-present king of kings and lord of lords that we're here to worship, the one who calls me by name. I've been there before where I've just been going through the motions. It's hollow worship, and it means absolutely nothing to Jesus. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to talk about ways we can express worship because there's all kinds of ways. You know, we, we, there, there's, um, they, and they have to do with outward things. They have to do with out, and those things are good. Those things are ways to express our worship, but we should be able to uh, uh, outwardly express our passion for God in worship. We, we should be able to do that, but the key element there is our heart has to be in it. So as we talk about worship, we got to understand that our heart must be in it. We can go through all the motions, but if our heart's not in it, it means nothing. See, our heart must be connected to who God is. No form or expression of worship is right when the heart's not right. But when our heart is right and we're connected to who God is, there's going to be passion in our worship. It'll be evident on the outside the passion that you know can be expressed in different ways, especially you know sometimes quietly, sometimes more con contemplative ways. There's different ways to do it. You know, other times it's 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 more with with you know greater volume and greater animation and all that. And but the passion in our heart should always be reflected by the countenance on our face. You can look at someone and you can tell whether they're really engaged with Jesus in worship by looking at their face because the face reflects the heart. They can just be singing the songs like this and worshiping God. Or like this and just going through the motions. Our heart matters. So people should be able to see when we're passionate about something. Now, what would Jesus undo? He would undo hollow, empty, passionless worship where our mouth may be moving, but our heart is unstirred. Now, as we said, there's different ways to express worship. 
But first, I want to give you an example that doesn't have to do with worshiping or church. I want to give you an example of something that a lot of people are passionate about. Football. How many are passionate about football? All right. All right. What? Worse, I know, he's at Sherwood Oaks because they've got some kind of ministry fair that he's there with Campus Life, and that's where Tina is with the, you know, and that. But, but yeah, where, where is he? Because he is passionate about football. But, but you know, um, but not just football in general, but your team, right? How many are passionate about IU football, all right? How many are passionate about Bloomington South football, I'm not going to ask about North. I'm not going to ask about Purdue. I'm not going to ask about Michigan. I'm not going to ask about... (laughs) We have some of those fans with us. All right, but no, it's your team, whoever it is. You want your team. You're passionate about it, right? Well, um, um, just over a week ago, our next-door neighbors... Our next-door neighbors here. Yeah, that way. Um, Bloomington High School South football was playing for their fifth straight sectional championship. And they were playing against Martinsville, with whom there is a long-standing rivalry. The teams do not like each other, okay? Uh, earlier in the season, Martinsville had beat South 47-20. to Ouch. Um, going into the sectional championship, going into that game, Martinsville record was eight and two. South's record was five and five. Martinsville got up early in the beginning of the game. First quarter, they were up 14-0. By the end of regulation, the score was tied. Game went into overtime. Each team gets a chance to score. Martinsville kicks the ball missed. Field goal wasn't good. South kicks, no good. Second overtime. Martinsville goes first, kicks a field goal, it's good. (laughs) Our turn. We've got the ball. Third down on the 14-yard line. I want to show you the last play of the game. And as you watch, I want you to keep your eye on one of the assistant coaches. He's standing behind the team on the sidelines. It's not David, but he's standing uh, behind the team on the sidelines toward the right-hand side of your screen. He's wearing a black ball cap. Uh, a black jacket and gray shorts. So um, we're going to watch the the last play. Lisa? See him right there. That's me screaming. Wow. I mean, the quarterback passes, the receiver catches the ball in the end zone, touchdown, South wins their fifth straight sectional title in a row. 
And the coach, the assistant coach there, you know, first he has, he's got to set down his iPad because it's not a notebook. It's a, he can't just throw it. It's an iPad. So he's got to set that down on the bench, and then he runs out swinging and, and swinging his arms and, 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 you know, and just going nuts, and you can hear me screaming and all that. And that was such fun. Let's play it again. hear me screaming is not because I was so much louder than everybody else it's because the camera was their phone was right here as I was taking the video so anyway um I mean the excitement (laughs) the joy the passion of the moment and you know what that's just a football game that's just a an exciting game a great game to watch a nail-biter but it was just a game. When we worship God, it's no game. We're celebrating and we're entering into the presence of one who had been dead and is now alive. One who had been dead but was raised from the dead. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. And he loves us beyond our ability to comprehend. And he calls you his own. And if you're here this morning and you think the fact that he died and rose again is just a story that is told and that it didn't really happen or that it didn't matter that it happened, then I want to challenge you to look into the historical evidence for the resurrection because it is there both in the Bible and outside of the Bible. The historical, uh, 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 what's the word I just used? Evidence, yes, this historical evidence for the resurrection because he was dead. He was buried. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave. And that's the one whose presence we are entering into. That's reason to be passionate about worship to be passionate in our worship, to be passionate about coming together to worship. You know, and, and, and that passion is expressed in different ways. We don't have to, you know, doesn't have to be running across the field, you know, windmilling our arms and all of that, you know. It, it, but neither should it be just standing there with our arms crossed, with an expressionless face, just mouthing some empty words. Worship is meant to be expressed, but how? How do we do that? And again, we're going to talk about some outward things, but you've got to realize our heart has to be in it. It has to, it has to have our heart in it. So how, how do we, how, what are some ways we can express our love for Jesus in worship? Let's look at a few. First, sometimes we bow in reverence. It's not always about shouting It's not always about volume. Sometimes we bow in reverence. The psalmist said, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. If you've ever ever been to the Grand Canyon, how many have been there? Okay, quite a few of you. If if you've never been there, put it on your bucket list. You've got to go at some point. There's something about the Grand Canyon that when you go there, there's a moment There's a moment when you step up to it 
and you stand there in silent awe looking out over the majestic beauty. Or you just speechless. Your breath is taken away. How much more so when we stand in the presence of the one who created it. The Apostle John, when he wrote the book of Revelation, it was given to him as a revelation. He has an encounter with the risen Christ, the one whom he walked with and lived with for three years, the one who he watched perform the miracles, the one who, you know, he's the one, John is, the Apostle John is the one that, when it talks in the Bible about the Apostle whom Jesus loved, you know, I mean, he loved all of them, but there was a special relationship with John, and John's the one who, you know, would lay his head on against his breast at times, you know, they were, they, they were so close, and, and the, you know, he, he saw Jesus crucified, and then he saw him, you know, rise from the grave, and then after Jesus ascended to heaven, he, Jesus appears with him again, to him again, and I want to I I'm going to read that description. He says, "I was standing in the middle of the lampstands when someone uh, 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 standing in the middle of the lampstands with someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Some of you are uh, closer or resemble Jesus more than you realize. Um, and his." <laughs> I, I could help it. I've got this little thing right here when my hair grows out. That's why. Okay. Uh, uh, where, where was I? Um, white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. Uh, he held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and the grave. I mean... The, that's the one that we worship. That is who we worship. We worship him bowing. We worship him kneeling in reverence. We worship him, you know, in, 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 in just this reverent awe. And then sometimes, sometimes we lift our hands in adoration. You know, I used to think that was the strangest thing in church. I started, you know, the church I grew up in, nobody raised their hands except for the priest up front. And that wasn't while he was singing. That was merely, you know, as he was reciting certain things, he would, you know, do this and this and this and, you know. And then I went to a church where it's like I walk in there, the band starts playing, and they really weren't, well, anyway, the band starts playing, and everybody's raising their hands. And I'm thinking, what's with these people? They're crazy. It's like, I'm not raising my hands. And I didn't realize that everybody else was, and I was the one that was standing out because I was just standing there like this. But anyway, um, you, you know, I didn't grow up with that. 
People didn't raise their hands in church, but then something happened. I met Jesus, and now I want to raise my hands all the time in worship, all the time. It's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a biblical response. The, the, you know, the, the, the psalmist said in Psalm 63, 4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. It's a biblical response to being in the presence of God. It's a biblical response of, of, of worship. It's an act of surrender to God saying, Lord, I'm yours. I surrender to you. You take me all. You are worthy. You are holy. You are the one that, 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 uh, that, that, that loves me more than I could ever know. You redeemed me. With all you've done for me, I worship you. It's an act of surrender to him. It's acknowledging his greatness that he's, greatness, that he's deserving of worship. And then sometimes we dance in celebration. Psalm 149.3, praise his name with dancing. Now I've been in churches where people were so filled with the presence of God, they're dancing in the aisles, dancing across the front, dancing in the back. It's one way of expressing worship. I've tried it, but I have no rhythm. I can't dance. You know, I wish I could. Someday I'm going to be able to. But, you know, it's, it, 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 you know when I worship, I sway. You know, I'm kind of like this thing. That's my dancing. I'm dancing inside. I'm jumping all over inside. But, you know, but, 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 you know it is, it is a, a one way of expressing worship. And then sometimes we worship with the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Now, this one's tougher because it means expressing worship and praise when you don't always feel like it. Ever been there where you're not feeling it? Yeah, we all have. It's, see, it's easy when everything's going right, everything's wonderful, and you're feeling it. But when life is hard and when things aren't going well, when you're fighting a battle and it looks like you're losing, when you're scared, you don't really feel like singing praise and worship to God. And we've all been in that place before where the feelings aren't there. But when the feelings aren't there, that's all the more reason why we should offer a sacrifice of praise because He is still worthy. And that's when we can tell that it's genuine is when we press through the feelings of not wanting to or not feeling it, but we press through anyway, not because we feel like it, but because he is worthy of it. That's how we know it's genuine. And that's when it shows our commitment to him because of who he is, not because of how I feel in the moment. See, he deserves worship all the time, not just when we feel like it. And the next thing is, daily we worship we express worship when daily we lay down our lives as an act of worship <laughs> living our lives for jesus every single day day in day out consistently whether we feel like it or not that's an act of worship romans 12 1 says therefore brothers and sisters 
in view of the mercies of God. And that's a key right there, in view of the mercies of God, in view of his mercies. When, 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 when you consider his, you know, his great mercy toward us and you consider that his mercies are new every morning, not just when we feel like it, but his mercies are new every morning. When you consider that his mercy is available to us for the asking any time we can approach him, his throne of grace, and receive grace and help and mercy in our time of need. In view of all of that, Paul says, I urge you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. You know, we can sing songs, we can raise our hands, we can dance like a maniac, we can, you know, swing our arms like windmills, but if our heart isn't changed, And if our life doesn't reflect that change, then our worship is hollow. Because it comes from a life that doesn't back up. I'm not saying a perfect life. Nobody has a perfect life. But I'm saying a life that, you know, when when our life is not perfect, when, when we do struggle with things, when we do make mistakes, when we do fall, you know, we bring it to Jesus and say, I blew it again, here I am. And he forgives us. He grants us mercy. If our heart isn't changed and our life doesn't begin to reflect that change, then it's hollow. Because at some point, Jesus comes in and he moves on our heart. And at some point, as he changes our heart, that begins to be reflected on the outside. You see, change comes from the inside out, not from the... A lot of times we get it backwards. We try to make change happen. We're going to change this and change this and change this, and then that's going to change my heart. No. Our heart is changed by the presence of God, by the power of God, by an encounter with God, by His Word ministering to us and working in our lives. Our heart is changed, and little by little that begins to be reflected on the outside of us. I love the way the Passion Translation, you've got it in your uh, handout there. I love the way it translates this verse. Beloved friends, what should our proper response to God's marvel? What should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I want you to think about that for a minute. God's marvelous mercies. What should our proper response be to that? And then it continues. I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be His sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness experience experiencing all that delights his heart for this becomes your genuine expression of worship see it's not just the songs that we sing in this building when we talk about worship it's not just the songs that we come together and sing It's how we live when we go out those doors. It's how we live out there. A life lived for Jesus is the best worship that we could give him. Be passionate about your life with Jesus. Go all in with Jesus. Go all in. He's worth it. And I'm not talking about just conjuring up feelings or working up excitement 
I'm talking about worshiping with a deep-rooted passion that comes from an appreciation and a recognition of what Jesus has done for us and what he is doing for us. He suffered on the cross and he died in our place because we screwed up. So he paid the price for that. And what happens then is the screw-ups that we've had, they're gone. He wipes them away. And then he rose from the dead. He is a resurrected Lord. He rose from the dead. He rose to give us new life. That's a life full of power, a life that's lived for him, a life that's full of significance, that's full of joy, that's full of meaning. Do we always feel that? No. But it's there. Because Jesus doesn't look at us and say, yeah, you look like you're not feeling it today. Sorry. Hope you're doing better tomorrow. He looks at us and he says, hey, I know you're struggling. I know you're having some difficulty right now, but hey, remember, I rose from the dead and I've claimed you for my own. You are my child and nothing is going to change that. Absolutely nothing is going to change that. So whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever it is you're afraid of, whatever it is you're, that's, that's got your mind in turmoil, just give it to me because I conquered death and I can conquer anything. And he's the one that does it for us. We're going to stand and prepare our hearts for worship while the worship team comes up. We're going to, we always like to close with a song. We're going to worship. And, you know, I want you to think about who it is that we're worshiping. Who it is that we're going to worship. He's our rock, our redeemer, our righteousness. God is our deliverer, our defense, our strength, our shield, our salvation. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. He's the good shepherd. He's the true vine. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the light of the world. He's the lamb of God. He's the lion of Judah. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He's the beginning and the end. And he is the one who rose from the dead. You know, in 1 Chronicles, the, when, the, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem, God's people, you know, celebrated with gifts and singing and shouts of praise because the ark that that that, that was that the ark was where the presence of God resided on earth, okay? That was their connection to God. The presence of God was there. So the presence of God had come. So they celebrated. And as they celebrated, David gave a, a, a song to the worship leader um, to lead the people in. And here's an, some excerpts from it. It's from 1 Chronicles 16. I just want to read through some of it. Great is the Lord. He's most worthy of praise. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Tell all the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people shouted amen and praised the Lord. Now we live under a new covenant. 
The presence of God lives inside of us and surrounds us when we gather in His name. We're going to close by worshiping and with, a, with, with several ways. We're going to close with worshiping with the giving of our tithes and offerings as the ushers come. We're going to close with the sharing of our stories as we place our, our green Connect card in the, uh, in the bag as it comes by. Let, do that as an act of worship. Do that as an offering. This is my story. Lord, I offer you my story as you, as you place it in the bag. Uh, we're going to do that with the lifting of our voices and our hands to worship as, as Rich and the team leads us. We're, you know, so so as, as, the, as the ushers pass their bags and you give that or you give electronically, whatever, let it be an act of worship. Let everything about this be an act of worship. Lift your hands and your voices as an act of worship. So as the ushers come, let's worship. <laughs>